0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And here for the first time in postseason history, brothers face off pitcher-hitter. Aaron Nola against Austin Nola. Little brother against big brother. It was Austin that got Aaron into baseball. Aaron started playing baseball because that's what Big Bro did. Aaron, very calm, quiet, understated. Austin, more outspoken. He's kind of made his name as the vocal leader to the pitching staff for the Padres. Both playing in the championship series. One of them headed to the World Series. There goes Kim.
1: Right a base hit to right center.
0: Welcome to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardian Speed Reporter for MLB.com and Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. And Sarah, we have so much to get to with the postseason. I mean, I'm fresh off of running around uh, like a chicken with my head cut off in a way because (laughs) of all of the different travel plans that I've had to go through with Lovely mother nature making her presence as much as possible throughout this entire season. So it was only fitting that we had to deal with it in the final few days. So, um, there's been, there's been so much and it's been so nice for me in a way, as much as I would love to be still covering playoff baseball. It's been nice to be able to watch some other stuff and actually see some other things happening. Uh, as you know, it's been difficult to keep up with because You texted me to see if I had seen um, some highlights earlier in the week. And I was like, "Um, no, I'm writing. What's up? And uh, was it It was Reese's Homer the other night, correct? Ah, the- uh, Schwarber. Schwarber's Homer. It was Reese's was the night after. Schwarber's Homer the other night. That you were like, can you go watch this? And then we FaceTime so that you can see it. <laughs> and I was like, yes. Uh, now I'm intrigued. So it's been nice to actually be able to watch and keep up now because the postseason has been unbelievable.
1: Oh, my gosh. It's been amazing. And as you said, I mean... You know, it was a couple days ago now, but what was that? On Tuesday, Kyle Schwarber hit that 488-foot home run, 119.7 mile-an-hour exit velocity, and I was watching the post-game show, and they had uh, Kyle Schwarber on. And if you haven't seen him by now, you probably have at this point. But Bryce Harper had an amazing mm-hmm. reaction to the home run. And it is a breaking ball. Schwarzer was ready. How far does this go? Wow! Deep to right field. Titanic shot into the second deck. Second deck! Wow! Kyle the took a two-nothing lead. So they're talking to Swarper right after the game, and they say, "Hey." Have you seen how Bryce reacted to the home run? He's like, no. So they had a monitor in front of him, and they had him uh, watch that and see how Bryce reacted mouth agape, just totally in awe. The look on Bryce Harper's face was absolutely priceless when he saw that ball leave the yard. What was the conversation in the dugout call? I saw that happen, and I'm like, you know what? I wonder if I can do this to Mandy, because you had just covered game five of the ALDS, and I knew you were probably in transit. You said no. Bryce, your, your reaction to how far uh, Schwabert hit the ball. FaceTime, WashU react, it was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it was far. <laughs> and I feel like this is the perfect way to get into the NLCS. So right now we have, we're talking on Friday morning. Game three in Philadelphia is tonight. This series is knotted up 1-1. I really thought we were going to be talking about a 2-0 Phillies lead. But the Padres had that big comeback. They came back after the Phillies went out to a 4-0 lead in Game 2. Off Blake Snell in the first inning, the Phillies were 27-2 in their postseason history when leading by at least four runs. They are now 27-3. Because the Padres, big comeback. And now we have a pivotal game three. So in all best of seven series in the postseason, tied 1-1. The game three winner has gone on to win that series 67 of 97 times. That's 69% of the time. And if you go to the current format, 2-3-2, teams that split those first two games in their home ballpark, so that's the Padres, have still gone on to win that series 47 of 85 times. So that's 55%. So by that, it's basically a toss-up a little bit towards the Padres, but Game 3 is going to be pivotal tonight.
0: I mean... You said that you're sitting here expecting it to be a 2-0 lead and that's what we would be talking about. I'm expecting this to be the Dodgers that we're talking about. I'm not I was not mentally prepared for this Padres-Phillies series and I think that's what makes it so great because these these upsets you have one side of the bracket that went as everyone expected, all the favorites doing exactly what they should be doing and then the other side was a train wreck where nothing went to plan. And I think that brings such a flair to the postseason, um, where you have teams where you, ha- you haven't seen them every single year and it's been a different mix. Um, I think it's, I don't know if you've had a chance to go read AJ Casavell's story on um, Padres.com for, for MLB, but, I think I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing Garcia pitch for San Diego just because of his story. I mean, AJ wrote about the fact that he had been um, signed out of the Dominican Republic and then struggled mightily throughout his minor league career, never really pitched above high A. And... Gave up on baseball and was a barber and was working for a moving company, and then suddenly you think, okay, well now today you're gonna go pitch in Game Three and uh, of the NLCS. And so these types of stories are just sh- so neat. And um, AJ did a fantastic job. If you didn't read that, go go check that out because it's it's nice to to see the stories. It's nice to see the the human sides of of some of these guys who are gonna be pitching on the big stage. Um, but it's just been such a surprising series, um, not even just a series. It's been a, such a surprising stretch in the NL during the postseason that I think it brings a different level of excitement from in the postseason than maybe what you would get from the big sluggers from the Astros and the Yankees on the other side.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I think there are just so many great storylines, as you alluded to. Something else I'm really excited for tonight was the fact that Joe Musgrove, who's starting the Padres tonight, talked during the uh, workout yesterday about how he kind of feeds off the negative energy in the crowd, and he likes pitching on the road in these kinds of situations because we've seen that Philadelphia crowd this year, especially in the postseason, they have been just so on it. I mean, I think we talked about this. I know I've talked about this over the last week or so. Kind of seemed like a club during Game, uh, game 4 in the uh, NLDS and everything that they were doing. It just seems like, you know, with the Reese Hoskins bat spike and everything else going on, and those Philly fans are hungry. I mean, all of these fan bases are. But we know that Philly can have that edge. And the fact that Joe Musgrove is sitting there saying, "Yeah, I'm excited to pitch in that atmosphere." That is why he is who he is for this team. We had him pitching, of course, in San and uh, New York. Excuse me, in the wild card series against the Mets. And he just seems to have that edge to himself as well. And so I love that idea of relishing pitching in enemy territory. And I'm really excited to see how that works because he says that, but he hasn't pitched anywhere like Philly in the (laughs) postseason yet. So let's see how that looks tonight
0: think these, it's hard to call them underdog teams when they're in the postseason because obviously they're better than most of the teams uh, in the majors this year. But it's the approach that these underdog teams always sort of have. Like I covered that with Cleveland this year where they are fueled on that type of stuff and it didn't work out in Cleveland's favor. But we talked to Josh Naylor after... They were knocked out and asked him if you didn't see. He did his rocking of the baby celebration in game four, three, four, game four. Every game blends together. Game four, they were still down. um, But he was doing that rocking the baby celebration because he calls the pitcher his son and that's his celebration. And of course, he was expecting New York to eat him alive for that. And they did. Um, the entire stadium's chanting, who's your daddy? And they're rocking the baby at him as he's walking into the dugout. Um, Torres rocked the baby. They had a whole bunch of different things going on with that. And Naylor loved it. Like, I I mean, it's, it probably would have been better for him if he could do something where it was like he was on the winning end of this, whether it was just a hit or something simple, but he didn't. Um, But even though he took it so graciously in a way of, okay, I asked for this and this was fun. He said that was like a dream to have a whole crowd getting riled up because of you and um, creating that type of atmosphere. He kept saying this like, well, this is what baseball needs. We need this go back and forth. And he kept showing him on the TV. He was smiling over all of it. And so um, it just seems like these types of underdog teams don't get as rattled by that because they're fueled by so much hate and doubt throughout the season that they they really seem to embrace it and that's sort of what we're seeing on the same side with with uh with well going to Philly. <laughs>
1: Okay, you just took my uh, baseball as the best moment for the end. Oh, no. I was going to talk about Naylor, but it's okay. I've got that up. Oh, no. But, no, I mean, that was an incredible reaction. <laughs> and definitely, I mean, I think these teams are fearless. We saw that, obviously, the Phillies beating the Braves. That was a 14-win upset when you look at regular season wins. And then the Padres being the Dodgers, that was 22-win upset, which was the second largest in a postseason series behind only the 1906 World Series when the 116-win Cubs lost to the White Sox. So I just think once you pulled off upsets like this, no one expected you to be there. It's kind of like the phrase of playing with house money. These teams are just going to go as far as they possibly can, and they don't care about those expectations. And then on the other side, we have the ALCS, which is incredibly shocking. It's the two teams we expected to be there. They're meeting in the postseason for the fourth time in the last eight years. They're meeting in the ALCS for the Third time in the last six years, of course, the Astros and the Yankees. And this series has been fascinating because the Astros have won these games, close games. The entire postseason, they've been winning close games. And yet they're so dominant that, you know, Alison Butter, one of our wonderful uh, executive editors for MLB.com, was asking me last night, hey, has the team ever gone undefeated in a postseason? They've won five games by a total margin of victory of plus seven. It is the (laughs) lowest run differential in a five-game span where they were all wins in postseason history in a single postseason. And yet we're talking about could they possibly go undefeated? So... As I'm alluding to, the Astros have that 2-0 lead in the series, heading to New York for Game 3 on Saturday. And in best-of-seven post-in series, teams taking a 2 lead have gone on to win that series 74 of 88 times. So that's 84%. Oh,
0: my gosh. That's unbelievable. I mean, I was expecting the Astros to be good, but like I thought the Mariners were going to give them a bit of a challenge. And yes, they played for like 3000 innings uh, in their clinching game. But outside of that, it just it's been it's been crazy to see them sort of just in a way float through this. But like, as you're saying, it's been such close, intense games that It hasn't been like a cakewalk, but yet they're constantly coming out on top.
1: They are. And it's fascinating because they're hitting 229. There have only been two teams to hit lower than that in a five game span in the postseason and win all five games. They're hitting 229, but they're pitching out of their minds. They're not hitting with runners in scoring position. But they're getting those key home runs. Last night it was Alex Bregman into the Crawford boxes. You can say whatever you want about the fact that it was a 91.8 mile an hour exit velocity. Not exactly the most crushed home run. But that's a batter who knows his home park and knows how to hit it out there. But their pitching has been so dominant over the Yankees in this series. They have gotten the Yankees to strike out 30 times in two games. 17 in that first game when the Astros only struck out twice. That was the largest differential in strikeouts in a postseason game, that 15 strikeout differential. And I love this. The record they broke was 14. And that was from the 1968 World Series when Bob Gibson struck out 17. And on the other side, Denny McClain had only three. I love when we have a strikeout record that isn't just from the modern kind of current era. But now, of course, we have them at the top 15 strikeout differential. Then last night, it was 13 strikeouts for the Yankees. They're just swinging and missing so much. The Astros have induced a 40.6% whiff rate against the Yankees in this series. A little context, Jacob deGrom was 99th percentile in whiff rate this year at 41.5%. So the entire Astros in this series so far or basically Jacob deGrom.
0: Well, when you put it that way, <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I mean, it. you see what Verlander and Valdez both did. You look at what their starting pitching can do. You think about how the Yankees had to basically deplete their pitching throughout the ALDS. Um, and the Astros, since they swept, they were able to just kind of get rested and be able to put all their best guys out from the get-go. You can have Verlander take game one. You can have Valdez continue that momentum clearly in game two. And then you're just now getting down to, okay, now we can see Garrett Cole. Now we can start to see, um, eventually we can get to Nestor Cortez, who's had to pitch so much throughout the ALDS. Um, that it's hard, it's hard to say that that hasn't been detrimental to them in a way so far but I mean you talk about these the home field advantages in a way of knowing how to take one out in your own ballpark knowing how to do that Aaron Judge it would have been what was it that fly ball that he had uh last night it would have been a home run in one ballpark and well I'm sure everyone can guess which one has the short porch in right field um, and so you, you're accustomed to being able to take advantage of things in your home ballpark. And so I wonder how that could change things now that the series is heading back to New York. You have, obviously both teams have that short board, so you can use that to your advantage. But New York playing there 81 times during the regular season, you you know how to play that to your advantage. And I wonder if that could be especially in front of a ridiculously raucous New York crowd, I'm sure. Um, I just came from there, and my goodness, that environment is unlike any other. I wonder how, how much that could maybe change some things for the Astros going into this series.
1: Definitely, and we'll see. You know, Garrett Cole on the mound, he was the game-changer in that ALDS They came out and won both games. He pitched really crucial, and that's really what kept them in the series and propelled them eventually to that victory. Obviously, Nestor Cortez, you mentioned on short rest in Game 5, but if not for Cole in Game 4, you're not even there. So I really think he has shown in this postseason why the Yankees went out and paid him all that money. This is who they needed him to be. So we'll see if he's able to turn the tide in Game 3. Again, with the entire crowd behind him for sure. But this is one of the biggest starts probably he's ever made because if they go down 3-0, we know there's only been one 3-0 comeback. And of course, it was against the Yankees in that 0-4 ALCS by the Red Sox.
0: Yeah. And now we have a a travel day so that we're going to have to wait an extra 24 hours before we can see how all this plays out. Travel days haven't been too frequent in this postseason, So whenever they're happening, I'm like, wait, what are we doing? Why isn't there baseball every single day? Um, Obviously we have the NLCS. That's fine. We still have baseball every single day, but I'm so used to having so much all the time. Um, I'm excited to see how the rest of these, both of these series play, play out. Um, It should be quite the finish. I'm, Excited to see how the Astros can handle New York and see if they can somehow go on to be the be an undefeated team in the postseason, which, my gosh, that would be wild. So um, I think we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we can talk a little bit more about. Uh, Cleveland getting knocked out just because, you know, I guess I was there for all of it. So it's easy to talk about. And of course, we can come back and talk about our, our favorite things in baseball this week, even though Sarah now has to come up with something else. So we'll step aside and we'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardian beat reporter for MLB.com, and Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. And Sarah, because this series was in New York, we actually got to see each other, which was nice. Um, Cleveland was in New York for what felt like an eternity um, because of rain and weird off days and uh, everything in between. So... Uh, it was nice. I could sneak off. I could come see you. We could uh, watch a little bit of baseball together, which was a good time. But uh, it was it was quite the hectic week, I should say, of of not really knowing how to schedule things with two postponements uh, and an, an intense series of a lot of built up anger after Josh Naylor did his rocking of the baby. And uh yeah, Cleveland's sorta of trying to prove that they can make a statement through each round. I know that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to shock the world. They said that so many different times, but uh came up just short without uh without being able to advance. But uh quite the season, regardless of where they ended it.
1: Yeah, I mean this team was so much fun to watch all year and of course You know, we're a national podcast here. But I wanted to make sure we wrapped up that season because you did such an amazing job covering the team all year as you always do. But especially over that last week, I mean, you know, I'm sure fans when reporters tweet out, you know, oh no, most light was delayed, oh no, there's a rain delay. I'm sure there's an element from fans where they say, yeah, but you get to do this for a living. <laughs> so this is not meant to be, you know, toward the complaining side. But I know that the logistics you had to deal <laughs> with during this series with two rainouts, travel days all squished together, not knowing where you are going to be Also, your birthday was this Monday and we (laughs) didn't know where you were going to be for that. So, you know, I thought it could be, you know, interesting for fans if you brought them in a little bit on everything that goes into not just covering postseason baseball, which we've talked about, but even the logistical side not knowing where you're going to be the next night what if this series ends what if it continues what if it rains which again happened twice heading into travel days here and i mean just a crazy crazy series
0: i think that the biggest thing about the postseason is like those first few games that are guaranteed that no matter what the series cannot be determined in those first few um Those are always the nicest because it seems like you can book things. You can put things in. This is written. This is in ink. I am inking this down. I can fly back from New York on Friday. I can do this. I can do that. Um, That got completely thrown out of whack because I wasn't. I knew that there was bad weather in the forecast, but. I just, I don't know. For some reason, the postseason, I'm like, they're just going to get through it. There's no way that the schedule is going to get thrown off. Um, So the first rainout when the game was supposed to be on Thursday and got moved to Friday, I had a 10 a.m. flight for Friday. So obviously that wasn't going to work. Had to scramble because everyone in both sides of the media and both Cleveland and New York At the same time, we're trying to switch all of their flights. And you're watching every flight, the prices skyrocket by the second. You refresh, it's $100 more, it's $400 more, it's $600 more. It was absolutely insane. And so the scramble of just trying to get a seat to get back to Cleveland in time, uh, we have a travel agent and I called and I was just like, hey, uh, I, I need a, a seat, uh, I need to get back to Cleveland, and he interrupted me, and he's like, I I don't have any seats left. And I'm like, "Um, I kind of need one, though, so uh, what can we do here? And so it was absolutely wild to try to leave game two. The only way I could get out of there was leaving Friday night after the game. It was an uh, afternoon game, so there was an 8 o'clock flight. Well, by the time extra innings wrapped up because of course I said, the only thing we need to make sure of is there's no extra innings so I can make my flight. So I knew I guaranteed extra innings at that point. And then, uh, we had the, the post game reaction, the guardians won an extra innings. So of course, there's going to be a lot of people to talk to. You need to make sure that, um, you're really getting the feel of the clubhouse. They just, even the series one, one, like it was a big deal, obviously winning in New York. So I come upstairs. I'm thinking I don't have a single second to to write here, so I need to get to the airport. I thought that I could just hop in an Uber right outside of the ballpark because I'm so used to leaving so late after when fans clear out, um, all the roads are back open back up. Like I never have to deal with that. And every road was shut down near, near their ballpark. So I had my laptop in my hand because I was ready to write in the Uber. I had my suitcase that I was pulling. And I had my book bag on my back and I had to run six blocks through the Bronx to get to my Uber because uh, a timer had started saying that it was going to leave without me. And I was like, please don't do that because I don't know if I'm going to get another one because it said no drivers were available so many times. And so I was able to run down. I had one minute left on my timer when I got to the car. And I hopped in, and I was able to write my story as we drove to LaGuardia. Um, And then I started my second story, and I had to pause to run inside, go through TSA, finish my second story, and um, got to the gate 10 minutes before boarding. And so I finished the second story in those 10 minutes, ran onto the plane, and wrote my third one on the plane. It was it was quite the hectic mess, but it was fun. Adrenaline is fun to run on. So um, that one was quite crazy. And then again, I was like, all right, I know there's rain in the forecast. I had the opportunity to finally just be like, I'm going to play it safe and book a refundable flight Um, and I didn't do that, of course. (laughs) Um, I thought it was for sure going to get through. I'm like, this is game five. They don't have any time to waste. They can't push this back. They don't want to have the ALCS start the next day after game five. They're not going to do it. No, they did it. We were at the ballpark until um, 10 p.m. ish uh, when they finally called the game. And at that point, everyone was saying, well, they've waited so long. They're not going to call it now. They're going to just basically get through it because it's like, why did we just wait this whole time? No, they called it then. And then, of course, we're all then again, scrambling of trying to figure out, Okay, well, now we got to change flights. We got to book two flights because we had to have uh, two flights on hold of of having either going to Houston or either going to Cleveland. And um, yeah, so I'm I think I'm a pro in last minute scheduling now. I have mastered that. And it was quite the dramatic finish to a season that. Already had uh, 11 rain postponements for Cleveland this year. So why not add two more in the postseason?
1: Wow. I mean, (laughs) I had already heard most of some of this from you. I knew you wrote the story in the Uber. I knew all of that. I did not know the extent of the flights, not having a seat, all of that. I mean, again... I come back to, this isn't a beat reporter saying, oh, my life is so hard. I get to cover baseball for a living. We're not going there. Please don't hear it that way. But that is just wild. I mean, it is just wild to have to do that, to do your (laughs) job. But hey, getting to watch baseball games I'm glad that the series went the distance, that you got the maximum number of games. And again, just to put a wrap on that Cleveland season, we talked about it when they made the playoffs. but This was the youngest team in baseball, the first team to make the playoffs as the youngest team in baseball. Since the 1986 Mets, this is not something we've seen in a while, and it was not a product of expanded playoffs. They won their division. They would have been there no matter what, and it's just such a credit to Terry Francona and to the entire player development staff there.
0: Yeah, and I think that it was clear that they needed Jose Ramirez to do much more than what he did down the stretch in the postseason. They got really fortunate that the rest of the team was able to step up because Jose wasn't Jose in September and the rest of the team sort of made up for it, but there was only so long that they could go without getting production from the best hitter in the lineup. And everyone was speculating whether there was more going on. Um, He had that thumb issue throughout the regular season. He had, he missed back-to-back games in June and then they never really talked about it again. And every time you brought it up to Jose, he got annoyed. So um, it was funny. You would ask, I know, Paul Hoynes, we call him Hoynesy from Cleveland.com. He would always go over to Jose and just say, are you good? And then he would just get annoyed. They have a very funny hate love, hate relationship where <laughs> Jose, he hits him in the head every time he walks past him and and all of these things. So he would always go over and ask him and Jose would get even more mad with, with Hoynesy. And then he would just give a thumbs up saying, I'm good. I'm good. And he was like, there's nothing wrong here. And he would always show us his thumb to try to prove to us that there was nothing going on. Well, there was more. he uh, They just announced that he does have to undergo hand surgery, probably early November. Um, they go to Dr. Thomas Graham in, in Dayton, Ohio, constantly. They love him for uh, a hand specialist. The Guardians have had a lot of hand issues, it seems like, over the last few years, so They've used him reliably, and um, it, it was clear that there was something going on there. He had an option to get that procedure during the season, but he would have had to miss so much time, and he was like, nah, I'm going to play through it. Um, it worked for a little bit, but he wasn't Jose the way that Cleveland fans are used to seeing Jose.
1: The incredible thing to me in that press release was that it said, a torn UCL in his thumb suffered in mid-June and you just alluded to that. I mean, he played more than half of a season and two postseason rounds with something torn in his thumb. That is just hero's work, if you ask me, (laughs) and it just shows how much the team meant him. As you said, he obviously could have done this, you know, at the end of June and missed most of the season but obviously didn't want to do that, wanted to be part of the team. And even though he wasn't himself in September, he did plenty to help the team mm-hmm. from mid-June onward. And he participated in the home run derby. <laughs> that I mean, you think about that, it's just incredible. So, you know, I always think of in hockey, when the season ends, that every player undergoes some sort of surgery, you know? Upper body, lower body, that's kind of how they say it in hockey. And it felt like when the season ended for the Guardians and for the Mariners, we just got a, you know, a handful of different injuries that were not suffered in that final game. Things that guys have been playing with, I believe they said Julio Rodriguez had a fractured fingertip. During the ALDS, I mean, just crazy things. And, you know, I want to make sure these players get credit for all that they played through. The pain tolerance, everything, and the dedication to the team. It's really impressive, and it just shows how much being a part of a team really matters to these guys.
0: Absolutely. I mean, Josh Naylor's been so beat up because of coming back from nearly splitting his leg in half it seemed like so um last year he had such a gruesome injury um and he you could see he was playing through a lot of pain this year at different times and he said he needs to go get checked out now make sure he can have a regular off season and someone followed up and said do you not think you can do you think something's wrong and he sort of just had a smirk on his face and he's like we'll see so, I mean, uh, I think a lot of guys deal with stuff. They just push through it and, um, yeah, it, they try to put on a, a front that there's absolutely nothing wrong. And most of the guys are really successful in doing that, and it's really impressive to, to completely hide that type of thing. So um, we'll take a quick break. Sarah, you go think of something else since you can't talk about rocking the baby anymore. And we'll come back with our favorite moments in baseball from the last week. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Andy Bell, Guardians Beat reporter for MLB.com, and Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. And Sarah, do you have a backup? Are you ready to go?
1: I do. So, this happened on Twitter a couple days ago. John Clark, who covers the Phillies for NBC Sports Philadelphia, tweeted out a picture of a Phillies fan in San Diego who came from Washington D.C. to see the Phillies play in San Diego. He went and saw them in San Diego because the tickets were significantly cheaper there than going to Philly even though being in D.C. obviously he was much closer to Philly. Uh, the fan, his name is Jeff Crawley. He had lost his father to cancer in July and he has a picture of him and then his sweatshirt next to him and has a photo of his dad on the sweatshirt. Uh so he got to bring his father to the game. So John Clark tweeted this out before the game. And then after the game, Bryson Stott on the Phillies quote tweeted and said, Hey, John, if we haven't already, could you get in contact with Jeff? I would love to give him two tickets for this weekend. Thank you, sir. So we don't have the answer yet. I'm sure by the time people are listening to this, Hopefully, we will have seen a wonderful conclusion to this on social media. But I love that Bryson Stott saw this because, first of all, he wasn't tagged. This wasn't at him. But clearly, he was just looking. He saw the story. He was taken by the story. So, you know, it's just an example of the fact that these players are people that stories really resonate with them as well. They're not just out there playing a game, going home, and not caring about the fans or the other people involved, but it really shows how much they care about the entire sort of operation. And I love seeing this also from Stott, who's a rookie. He's a young kid. So for him to have that perspective on how much this would mean for this fan, I just thought that was wonderful.
0: I love that. Any type of heartwarming story like that, I think that's so great. Um, mine's sort of along the same lines of like, a little bit different from, from focusing on the actual game and more uh, the human side of it all. I could not get over the whole... Uh, Nola Brothers situation. I think to me, that was the biggest thing. You have uh, Aaron and Austin Nola who were able to face each other in the postseason, um, And I thought it was really cool to hear from the parents' perspective of that whole situation. Because yes, it is so cool. You have Aaron Nola on the mound. You have his brother coming up to the plate, Austin Nola, who Austin's older. You have the older brother coming into the box. And that moment you think in your head when it's just like so quick, you're like, wow, what a moment for this family. You're seeing your kids up there. They're both playing in the same game. It has to be so special. And like it is, but it's not. And I think that's what's so funny about it is like, not funny, but you look at it and you're thinking it's just this wonderful thing. And the I think I read about how uh, the mom was like hitting the dad saying like, like, why when they showed you, you had no expression, you had no reaction. What's wrong with you? And he was like, I I didn't because I didn't know how to feel like, yes, I was super excited for Austin who then knocked in a run with a single against his brother. Uh, Yes. I was so super excited for him, but I didn't want to cheer because my heart broke for Aaron in the same moment. And it's like, yes, it's such a cool moment for that family, but it's also this gut-wrenching, what do I do? Who do I cheer for? It's like trying to figure out, like, no family has a favorite kid. You don't have, like, this favorite moment. You don't want to root for someone else to fall, for someone else to have success. So that that moment where it's like, I don't know what to do, I thought that was such a an eye-opening perspective to see what these families can have to deal with. But Overall, the big picture is, that is such a special moment. Like Regardless of like how it went, that is such a cool moment to be able to have um, brothers face each other. And I think everyone had, I think you posted, was that the first time that that had ever it happened was. in the postseason?
1: It was the first time in a batter versus pitcher matchup. They're the sixth pair of brothers to face off, have their teams face off in a postseason series but each of the five prior, they were all like both position players. So this is the first time we had a brother bat against his brother. And as you said, in that second plate appearance, the RBI hit, I mean, the key hit in that inning or one of them to really get that going. And, you know, the mother has been quoted as saying, you know, no matter what, one of our kids is going to the World Series. This is amazing. That's unbelievable. And I agree with that. And I feel like that's how I would react. But I also kind of agree with the dad. They kept showing them during that inning. And of course, (laughs) it's heart-wrenching to see your son give up the lead, leave with the game tied and then losing. so much momentum shifting and the idea that his brother is the one who kind of keyed it. I mean it's it's tough. It's almost like biblical. Yeah. You know, you go back to like these brother conflicts in the Bible and it's like here's another one. And uh, I mean it's just amazing, but It's really cool when you take a step back. And I will give Aaron Nola a lot of credit. Post-game, he was asked about it. And he said, you know, I'm upset with how I pitched and everything. But he also said that he sees how cool it is. And that, you know, maybe in a month, maybe down the line, he'll be able to appreciate a little bit more But he did have that perspective of understanding this is a really cool moment. And that's hard to do when you're a competitor and you just pitch poorly and you didn't help your team win the game. So I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. But I mean, just an amazing, amazing moment that we got to see that happen. I mean, just so, so cool.
0: I mean, he knew that question was coming and yeah. I'm sure he's tired of the questions. I'm sure it's not the first time he's been asked about this coming up and Oh, you get to play your brother, and they get t- People get tired of being asked the same things over and over again, and that happens a lot during the postseason because not only do you have the regular reporters who you're used to being around all year, you have so much national media. You have media from the other teams coming in, like the whoever you're playing that series coming in to ask for your perspective on things. So not only would he have been asked about this situation like once or twice, he probably has been asked about it so many times. So for him to be able to handle it that way in that moment, not only just being frustrated for how he pitched, but then also knowing how many times he's already probably been asked about this to try to have that perspective, at least from someone who has been on the media side of it when you're going up to him and you're like, oh, we have to ask him this again. Obviously, we have to do it. It's going to be like beating a dead horse at this point. But for him to have that perspective was refreshing and nice to see him take that angle. And I'm sure when Christmas rolls around at some point, Austin's going to be able to make the joke at Christmas dinner or whatever it might be saying, by the way, I, still have one up on you or whatever it is. And at that point, it's gonna hurt a little bit less. It's gonna hurt, but it's gonna hurt a little bit less. And I'm sure that this is gonna be something fun for the family to look back on. I'm sure Aaron would rather be the one who could be bragging at the dinner table, but um, I'm sure that'll be fun for them moving forward. So yeah, thought that moment was really, really neat. Although one had to suffer and one got to brag. Um, I thought that was a really cool moment for baseball. Thank you, as always, for listening. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast, and we'll see you next week.